This is Sound and Vision from KEXP. I'm Emily Fox. Jeremy Dutcher is a Polaris Prize and Juno Award-winning Willistook artist from Eastern Canada. Dutcher is passionate about learning his people's native language of Willistookwe. That's the language Dutcher's mother grew up speaking. In fact, Dutcher and his mom recently opened up a language immersion school for four-year-olds in an effort to help bring the language back to the community. It's been estimated that there are only about 100 speakers left. Dutcher is also a classically trained singer. Their previous award-winning album was sung entirely in Willistookwe. That album featured Dutcher's classical voice singing in combination with wax cylinder recordings from the early 1900s of the Willistookweek singing their traditional songs and melodies. Dutcher released their second album on October 6th. It's sung both in English and in Willistookwe. It explores the indigenous two-spirit identity, of which Dutcher identifies with, and it also covers issues present in indigenous communities and looks forward towards healing. Title of the album is called Madewilinuuk, and Madewilinuuk. I mean, when you look it up in our dictionary, it says witches. But it's such a, I mean, it's such a flattened misunderstanding of of everything that that word means. The best, the best translation I ever heard about this word was was the people of great spiritual power. But I like to go at it from a linguistic perspective. Madewilin. Medeo is those first five letters of that word is something that can be heard but not seen. So it's like, and we, we use it quite often to talk about that which is kind of unknowable or mysterious. And then so a Medeolin is like a one, a practitioner of that which can be heard but not seen. And uh, Medeolinuog is just the plural form of that, right? So, so it is talking about the magic beings or, and, and, and often this term gets applied to musicians um, and sometimes it even gets applied to queer people, like uh, two-spirit people, people who are LGBT and, and also indigenous. So for me, it's a very magic word. And there's a reason, I think, that the church kind of like, oh, demonized it a little bit, you know, because. And, and so in naming it that, it's about kind of reclaiming that and saying, actually, no, there's a lot of power in that, in that which we don't understand. Going back to, you know, pre-colonization, like, weren't two-spirit people, weren't they, weren't they in high regard in their community? Like, they were seen as powerful? That's the thing. That's the whole flip, right? Which is a whole 180 from the kind of Judeo-Christian sense of, like, sin and, like, coming out and all this stuff. It's like, well, that's, that's, that's one way of thinking about it and reacting to queer people. But there was another way, and, like, uh, there's so many teachings. And now that, you know, I've gone around and I've, I've, I've met so many people at that intersection and, and even put them, like, my last video for Take My Hand, it, like, had very – featured one of our, our two-spirit elders telling her story in the language. We, we call it Ken Wojnowski. 
So it's like, um, you know, the more that I meet people, it's just like so affirming that like, um, it's not, not, it's nothing new, like within our communities, like this celebration of queer brilliance and of queer magic is the most traditional thing. And so it's about kind of remembering that and trying to, you know, in, in those pre-colonial days, you know, our communities were small and self-sufficient. And there was no room to, to ostracize or to, to push out anyone's gift. So I think it's about honoring ourselves and, and speaking truth to that space of like, we got a special thing going on. And, and at one time, there was that celebration around it. And, at, you know, one time soon there will be again. But we're in a hard place right now where a lot of our young people feel like there's no hope, you know. The, the suicide rates, I mean, I can, I really only know the stats here in Canada, but I'm sure they're quite similar in the States. But the suicide rates for young queer people and the suicide rates for young Indigenous people are sky high. I think it's like three times the national average, isn't it? Uh, yeah. And then you start to think about that intersection and it's just, yeah. So for me, it's about creating imagery and creating, telling stories from that space that aren't necessarily about re-traumatizing us. They are about healing us, but also about kind of speaking to the dominant and saying like, hey, stop. <laughs> uh, like, stop and look at this. And, and there's, a, you know, our languages didn't get up and walk away. You know, they were, they came off the end of a strap and, you know, through the, through the harsh words of a nun. We have a lot of healing to do. And I think language particularly is, is a really good site for that healing. So, you know, as much as I wanted to communicate all of these stories and this, this poetry to, to English people and, you know, non-Indigenous people, to have, you know, half of it still in the language for me was kind of important as well. Um, just to, to keep it oriented and keep kind of one foot in the ground of, of where it comes from. So you're also a classically trained vocalist. I, I think your voice is amazing. And, you know, I can hear that classical influence on this record, but there's also a song on here that you say is sung in sky language. Tell me more about what sky language is, but also... Just generally, what were the musical traditions of your people? So Saga is the sixth track on this record. And um, this one is actually one of the only ones that's still connected to the melodies from the first research process. And with a lot of those old songs, when I would take them to, because that was part of the process. It was like going and listening to them in the museum, but also taking them out and, and playing them for elders and people that, that might know them, you know, that might recognize them. And two, for me as a language learner at the time, it was about, I sometimes felt maybe inequipped to sit with that and fully understand exactly what was being said. I could pull out words and kind of get a, a gist of it, but... 
for some of them, I really had no idea. So I would take them to, you know, speakers and elders and people, knowledge keepers in the community, and I would play it. And so usually they would, you know, know exactly what's being said because it's pretty, pretty clear if you listen close. <laughs> But um, some of them, actually, with this track, I just remember she said, "Oh no, no, I don't, I don't know what's being said. That's 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 old language, that's sky language." And I said, "So what do you what do you mean? That's like I kind of had some questions about that too." And she's like, "Yeah, that's 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 the ancestors. That's the language they speak, but we don't we don't know that anymore." And and so it is. I mean, it's cool. Like this evolution of linguistics in our community has worked because our written language is only 30 years old. The language has changed really rapidly because languages that are written down, they change at a super quick rate. Like almost every generation is like change, 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 like big time. So basically that the talk is saying sky language was acknowledging that like the language has changed so much since this song was first sung that we don't actually really know what it is saying from a like linguistic or translational level, but it's still sacred because it's from the ancestors. So we still sing it, even though we don't necessarily have a, a, a literal understanding of what's, what's being said. And that can be really, that kind of mystery is really powerful, I think. And, Yeah, I, I think the when you go in, and this is something that's been known about native music for a long time. You know, you think about the the anthropologists, and they even talked about this too. They didn't say sky language; they said they said nonsense syllables. Um, you know, which you know, that just goes to show you the kind of like the, the two perspectives kind of looking at each other and, and not really understanding. But that's why we create from our perspective so that we can garner understanding from others and hopefully get to know each other a little better. From your understanding, like what were the musical traditions of the Willis Week? Up until 1951 in Canada, gathering and sharing our songs was kind of not okay, like kind of illegal, right? Like you could be imprisoned. And so contextualizing in that to say like, oh, when I was a kid, we didn't really have Indian songs around. And it's like, well, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> you know? But then connected to the American Indian movement in the 60s and 70s, it's like we see this like massive emergence of people sharing traditional songs again. And so, you know, but they say nothing ever died. You know, it never went out. We just didn't do it in public anymore. There was this like sharing of this like underground song network which kind of kept our songs going. And, and so in the 60s and 70s, it started to come out again, and it's not going away. So the last three songs in this record were inspired by poems by a Cherokee poet. Uh, tell me about the poems and the messages you're sharing on these tracks. Ooh, Yes. So there's a two-spirit poet named Quo Lee Driscoll. And um, they wrote this like kind of eulogy, I guess, to a, a, a young two-spirit person that was murdered, I think in the 90s. So it's kind of, and it kind of contrasts with the story of Matthew Shepard, who I'm sure you're familiar with, who was like a young white boy that was murdered in Nevada or Wyoming. Montana. Or Wyoming, oh. And, 
of course, both are tragic, but one got a lot of a lot of news play, and the other one we don't know about. So this eulogy, I think, was a way to memorialize that and to also talk about our collective responsibility to each other um, to protect one another. And like as as communities that that are coming from different perspectives, it always needs to be a respectful dialogue. And so for me, those poems just they held a lot. They held the the grief and also the the joy and the beauty of resilience all kind of up against each other. And and that was very much a part of my thinking around this record was, you know, speaking from that intersection and talking about grief and joy like this. Yeah. Yeah, because there, there is kind of this song of like hope and resilience uh, towards the end of the album. But before we get there, I mean, there's some really powerful and hard tracks to listen to when you look at the, the lyrics, yeah. you know, one of them is Ancestors Too Young. You can live a flower. Can you talk about that track? They were hard to sing too, I'll be honest with you. Like, uh, there was a couple of times I had to duck out from the studio time and have a little smoke in the alleyway and a little cry. You know, that song in particular is really looking at... And it's funny because that Ancestors Too Young has a whole different context now. After all of these kind of residential school discoveries, these burial grounds have been discovered at schools um, in Canada. So now that song has a whole new context. But actually it's about... um, like many years ago, I went and visited a northern community in Ontario and uh, meeting a mother who had lost their child to suicide and just unspeakable grief meeting that, you know. And, and so understanding that sometimes those experiences bring a lot more questions, you know, um, certainly than answers and, and trying to tell a story of, of strength through that grief and that... that your community is going to be around you to lift you up when you need it the most. That one was a hard one to 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 tell and to write. And I remember there's a there's a trumpet solo at the end of that song where I remember I just asked the trumpeter because I had this experience of being in this, you know, sharing circle and and you know this mother just sharing and it's complete silence but all you hear is a wail, the grief, you know, and you just there's everything in that voice. The low and the high and the, the 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 broken and the strong and so I, I just asked that trumpeter to play grief. Just that was my only instruction, play grief. Uh, and you can hear it on there, like it's really strong what she comes out with. And then the following track is also super chilling. It, tell me about the story you're telling in the land that held them. Oh gosh, give us a break, Jeremy. Jeez, it's too <laughs> much. Um, I mean, that one actually, that one really comes from. I was really inspired by the singer. Well, always have been by the singer Nina Simone, and she has this song called Mississippi Goddamn, 
And it's such a such an indictment of the like racist system at the time that that you know saw these these young girls murdered and it was telling really hard stories, but kind of in a you know in a really in a way that tapped your toe in a way that moved your heart. And you know, I just over these past couple of years, I look at this story, the headlines in Canada, and it's like whew, like where's our where's our Winnipeg, goddamn? Where's our Saskatchewan goddamn? You know, like there's there's so many stories like that that exist in this place. And if we sometimes the headline can de- dehumanize or like take it kind of boil it down to details when these aren't headlines. These are people. These are somebody's kids, you know. So each verse is kind of looking at um a different story kind of from the from the the last couple of years in in Canadian indigenous news and trying to breathe some kind of humanity into that space and just say this was a this was a girl she was 14 search the river until you find her you know this was a this was a boy uh he was a young kid he was shot point blank by a farmer who didn't want him on his property like arrest him like why did he, why did he run free? And then with the delivery of that song, it wasn't necessary. With ancestors, it's about kind of shouting it out. With this one, it's 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 almost like I wanted to deliver that song like reading the newspaper. You know, it's very soft and it doesn't it doesn't move. It's like a placid lake because that's what it feels like sometimes when you read these stories in the news, and there's such casual disregard for indigenous life. And the, these stories get boiled down into, into points, bullet points. And, oh, what was in her system? Or, you know, all of these kind of dirty questions come in. And, and for me, it's just, it, it has to be more than that. Because we need to do better about honoring the ones we lose. Into the field he went Propelled by the headlines you're referencing are they just native lives that that have been lost that like weren't investigated or is it also just the the residential school stories is it both of those yeah things? it's kind of all there right you yeah. know it's like um i tried to tell a really expansive story with that song and i hope it's not too much and i really don't you know i it, my my intention is to not re-traumatize or to to pull out you know sore places of grief that 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 don't need to be exhumed but also for me there's also potential healing there if we actually look at it and for me because we're having that conversation as a nation and probably we should be as a continent about these histories of these these schools and boarding schools and everything that went on in those spaces um at the very least at least we're 
sharing that story, sharing that burden of that history now. Because we've known, I mean, in our communities, we tell the stories about this. We knew that these schools had graveyards and that a lot of kids didn't make it home. And yeah, I think if our non-Indigenous brothers and sisters, if our newcomers, with if all those people start to know that too, maybe then at least they can contextualize you know, them seeing a hard-off Native person living in the street. You know, maybe then it make, kind of makes sense because they didn't really have a chance. Um, and so then we can extend some healing and extend some empathy, for God's sakes. Uh, you know, it's like we, we need that kind of message right now. And I think um, I'm, I'm, I'm very honored and happy to be a, be a bearer of that and to try to use music for something. You know, because I think, yeah, music isn't what we think it is. It's not entertainment and it's not something to be sold or like a commodity. It's, it's, a, it's about the healing energy and um, those sonic vibrations of, of going to a live show or even just putting a record on and, and hearing somebody soar, you know, um, it feels good. It feels good to us and it gives us hopefully um, confidence to, to sing our own song or tell our own story or, or bring it forward, whatever we know needs to be brought forward. So your song, Together We Emerge, was really powerful with a message of moving forward through collective healing. Tell me more about that song and its meaning to you. Well, that one's kind of like the, the apex of the whole thing, you know? It's kind of everything is leading up to that moment. And in, in when the choir is really present there and just like is full, I think they're, they're saying, you will be our song. It's the first time we hear that choir in English. So it's really kind of the community is popping through. And it's like I was saying, an invitation kind of to, to sing along for people and, and to, in, to join that call to our, the sacredness of our women and our trans women, especially that hold a, a precarious place in our society. Increasingly so. We have a lot of aggressive policies and a lot of bad laws that I think are taking us backwards. So I think to remind us that, that if we sing together and if we, you know, if we love each other enough, we can actually come through you know, and, and emerge into a better space and place. That was my conversation with Jeremy Dutcher. Their album, Madel Wulanuuk, was released on October 6th. And if you want to hear more from Jeremy Dutcher, we'll post a link to our 2021 conversation about their previous album in the podcast description. And you can check out the latest live on KEXP podcast. It features Jeremy Dutcher's recent in-studio session here at KEXP. 
Coming up next time on Sound and Vision, we hear from the front man of Dead Pioneers as he breaks down his band's songs, We Were Punk First and Bad Indians. A woman once asked me my Indian name, and I said, it's Greg. And she was so disappointed, she was like, no, it has to be Red Eagle or Two Rivers or Grey Skull, I said. Yes, wait, is that for real? No, no, I said. So Bad Indian really is just sort of the embodiment of like, how I'm a bad native person because I'm not falling into these these tropes or these stereotypes that are expected of me. That's next time on the Sound and Vision podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show, rate it, and review it in your podcast app. KEXP's fundraising drive is coming up next week, and I would so appreciate if you help support this show financially. You can do that at kexp.org slash sound. We'll toss that link in the show description as well. Thanks for listening.